0: Thanks, as always, for listening to Fluff and Crunch. In this episode, Chris and I talk about skills. Skills in role-playing games, how they're helpful, where they came from, to a degree, and really, also, what kinds of problems can they cause? This is actually the first of a two-part episode. In the follow-up episode, we talk about some of our ideas for solutions to some of the problems that we address in this episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection, and sometimes disconnect, between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. And there we go, we're recording.
1: Good morning, Chris. Hello, Jeremy. How are you? Uh, yeah, no bad. How are you?
0: I am like I like I said a moment ago. And after Thanksgiving weekend, uh, Thanksgiving was very calm and really nice. And then the three days after were less so. So, uh, so I feel like I'm recovering a bit from from days off. But that's life. You don't have anything like that there. You don't have a. a and we didn't eat turkey this year. We ate other things, but. Uh, you don't have that there. Do you have any kind of like a, a, a day whose the purpose of which is just to gorge yourself?
1: I mean, I think we do that more at Christmas. I think that's why maybe like Christmas isn't like, you know, you do the presents at Christmas, but Christmas day is our big, like go crazy eating food day. Okay.
0: because obviously
1: we, we haven't had Thanksgiving less than a month before. Um, no, no, no. Is there a
0: traditional meal for a, uh, for an English or in your case, a Welsh I, Christmas?
1: Uh, I mean, it, it, it will be turkey. So that, I mean, that's oh. the thing, kind of like, I think what you do for Thanksgiving is what we will do for Christmas. Oh. So it's, it, to, I mean, some people go over the top. You'll actually have a, a kind of what you should do on the day before. So Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. And then we have a day after, which is also a holiday called Boxing Day, uh-huh. um, which is the, the name is, I mean, I know what the, the, I know the relevance of the name, but the name has that relevance. It's long, long gone. But it's another bank holiday. So people will frequently, like, we will frequently sort of see, like so, like this year, for example, I'm seeing my my the parents-in-law, parent in law on uh, Christmas Day, and then I'll drive to my parents, and we'll do Boxing Day with them. Um, and so, like, I'll you know see two lots of family that way. So yeah, we have like a second day. So okay, um, but yeah, it's usually turkey on turkey on Christmas Day, and you know all the all the trimmings, as we say, we have. What we call Christmas pudding, and I think everybody else calls figgy pudding, but it doesn't have figs in it. So I guess I don't know if it's the same thing. or it. it has lots of like sultanas, and raisins. I mean, mince
0: pie. I mean, mince meat pie doesn't have meat in it.
1: Uh, well, not so we here. call them. So we refer to them as mince pies, which and on oh. it it says mince meat, but yeah, the mince meat for a mince meat pie is it, it's not it's not minced no. meat. It's no. you know like sultanas and little bits of things cut up, um, which is very confusing. But yes, it uh, is. So yeah, we've started eating those already. <laughs>
0: No, good deal. Yeah. I'm the only one in my family who likes, who likes
1: mince meat or mince pies. I like them for breakfast. I'm going to just eat them. Mate. Yeah. I have tend not, I have eaten them for breakfast, but like shouldn't. Cause it's like, it's like a snack. It's a, it's no, not, I, I you know, you, know, you can know
0: have that and you have a little bit of yogurt or cottage cheese. So like you have your carb overload and your, your protein. <laughs> and then if you can, you go running a couple hours later. Uh, and then, and then you're good to go. That aside. Um, we're here to talk about. Actually, you know what? Wait, hold on.
1: We've talked game. about our gaming over the last week. What have you done, or have you? I didn't. So yes, yeah, so the last weekend I didn't. But we haven't recorded now for a week and a half, right? So the previous week, um, we I think we played some kind of board game. Oh, it's Fireball Island, which is just like a really silly, like old school board game that they've re-released. Um, and then started planning um, our D and D campaign thing for next year. Uh, and then I had a miniatures event, which. I don't know the the fact that I'm not plan, planning to ever play this miniatures rule set in a tournament again might imply that I didn't enjoy myself. I, I didn't actually have a reasonable time, but I realized I've come across some other games like this It's the kind of game where you you kind of need mastery of every possible model in the game. And if you don't have that, you're just going to struggle. And I didn't have I I you know I barely knew what my models were doing, let alone what other people's were doing. And so it was just right. incredibly difficult. Whereas when I've played Marvel, I've because I've been in Marvel from the start, even if there's models I haven't used a lot, you know, I've read, I've, I've written reviews on like almost every model that's come out. So even when I haven't played with them, I've thought about them. And I've thought about yeah. tactics and I've played enough games that, you know, I don't necessarily have system mastery, but I know enough about it that I'm not going to be caught out very often in sort of gotchas and surprise things. Whereas I played this game called Bushido, which is very much what it sounds like. Um, and... Yeah, there was a lot of like, oh, this guy can do this thing. And then, oh, oh I, I didn't know that could happen. Oh, I didn't know this worked that way. And so like, I didn't, when you don't know the rules, it's a lot of just getting. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and because that I was like, it's going to, yeah, I, don't, I haven't got anyone to play with really locally, which means like, it's going to be a long, you know, I, it's not realistic that I'm ever going to sort of even be competitive. So I was like, no, I'll, I'll leave that for whether I just sell the whole lot entirely. I don't know. I'll just keep it. But anyway,
0: Yeah. how about you? We finished our latest Star Trek Adventures episode. Um and resolved. We, we didn't we didn't completely resolve like that, call it the outro to the adventure, you know, rolling for, you know, the the rewards and that kind of thing. But um, but we wrapped up the 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 party that was on the planet dealing with a diplomatic issue, we wrapped up. And so that was that was cool. And I have a, a good friend of mine who runs? Who's a DM for or GM for a different group? Um, his group imploded for the week. You um, know, like well, you know, it's a competent. You know, the more people you add, the more the right. more likely that one of your people's going to be is going to flake out sometimes, or be sick, or be you know that kind of thing, or have something come up. So we pulled him in and had him play one of the NPCs, um, the obnoxious uh, ambassador. So that worked out really well. I uh, had four people at the table and we finished that. And so the next week, what I'm planning on doing is one more episode in this series, which will take, you know, maybe no more than three sessions. Let's see. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. And then what I'm trying to do is, it'll either take two or three sessions, and then right before Christmas, I want to do a Christmas special uh, session. (laughs) It won't be Star Trek. I don't know what it's going to be. I'll probably steal your save Santa Claus from the clutches of evil idea or something like, maybe like Santa Claus, Octum Cthulhu, saving Santa from the Noctvulph or something like that.
1: Yeah, that was good fun. So it was good.
0: It It was good. But today we're going to talk about, why don't you introduce it since it was your idea. And I think you've got a, you have a, you have a clear idea of exactly what this is about.
1: Um I think, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So this will be the first, this will be the first part of a 2 part of talking about skills in role-playing games. Um And th- in this first part, my my intention in was we would talk about sort of what you can do primarily as a GM to, of, what you do in the situation where maybe your players don't have the right mix of skills or, you know, how you should use the skills. Um, and this this mostly came from Critical Role where I keep, like, the, the only thing they ever seem to roll is perception and stealth and you think, why, why have they We've got all these other skills and, or persuasion? It's like you've got 20, I don't know how many skills, let's say there's 20 and 5e and the same three seem to be using again and again and again, um, which seems a bit odd. So, and then I thought, actually, this would also be useful then to have a look at, a, you know, a very quick look maybe at what players need to consider when they're creating characters and then i thought we could turn this into which will be next episode hopefully uh an episode about if we were going to create our own ideally 2d 20 role-playing game using the sid what we would consider would be like the key the most important skills because i definitely see games where maybe there's too few skills and so one skill you know is doing too much work or where there's lots of skills and you still have the same problems you have lots of sort of dead skills that yeah. don't get used and then suddenly they're in really important and no one's got it. So, yeah, that's what I thought was do this one. So it's a shortish one to start with. Sort of what can we do as GMs when, you know, how, or how, two different ways to look at it. what can you do when your players haven't got the right skills or uh, you know, how can you make right. sure the skills are more interesting?
0: All right, so skills. They didn't exist in the original D&D. Nope. Uh, in fact, they didn't exist in first edition and they didn't, not in the contemporary fashion. They didn't exist in second edition. Second edition had, um,
1: what the heck were they called? They were called proficiencies, but they, yes. they're they not the same as they are now. No. Whereas the essentially no. proficiency now is, you know, where in 5e proficiency is you add your proficiency bonus in things you're proficient in to, to whatever, you know, whatever your right. stat is. Um Whereas in sort of in, uh, in 3.5 and Pathfinder first, we saw a much more clear, well, I guess it was same in third edition, much more clear yeah. skill thing. You know, every time you leveled up, you got so many skill points and you put them into it. And that's what we see in a, in a lot of other games where you have skill points. You know, 2D20 has, they don't call it skill points, but that's what you have. Right. You have expertise uh, in skills going from, you know, one to five, usually sometimes right. one to six.
0: Well, I, I remember, I mean, the, one of the things that set me off on my, my long path of playing science fiction games many, many years ago is when Star Frontiers came out. And Star Frontiers was the first uh, skill-based game that I'd ever played. I mean, so there's, you know, you, you have skills, you have skill ratings, you, those combine with your attributes. and that's what's used to determine success or failure for rolling for things. And, um, You're right that a lot of those, you know, the the early games didn't have those at all. It just just wasn't there. And the proficiencies, I can see as a, call it an evolutionary step between none and the very formal skill systems that are, I'd say, the norm nowadays. I mean, most games have some kind of, yeah, you know, you're like, well, how much do you know about computers? How much do you know? How good are you at driving a car or things like that? There's a number attached to a specific thing that is supposed to describe either an activity or a category of activities so it's narrow or broad or somewhere in between of you knowing something understanding something knowing how to do something
1: yeah i mean something like you know call of cthulhu or another bsm game or or any percentage based thing primarily that your your stat in that skill is well that's the number you roll for yep Um, so that would also be true and there's lots of other percentage systems but like also the, the warhammer and 40 K time, you know, they, they all work the same way. You might get a bonus if something is easy or hard, whereas other games, you know, we think five e, it's, it's different. We're looking at a, there is a difficulty and you're rolling to beat that. But yeah, mo- a, a game now without, when I find a game now without a skill system, I'm always kind of like, there has to be a really good reason why there are no yeah. skills in this thing. Because, um, I just, I just find it odd. I get it. I think a lot of it, and we'll talk about this more when we get to 2d 20 thing. I think, um, yeah, it, it, it depends a lot on the genre. Um. Yeah, that's kind of what skills are. Isn't but it? it's still it,
0: it is still the the norm. And yeah. I mean, I think the the question or the 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 difference maker is how long is the list of skills, which is a reflection of how granular each skill is. How broad or narrow is it? You know, I remember thirteenth um, age took an interesting um, took an in- interesting spin on this, whereas is instead of you having skills, you had backgrounds, which were just these an indication of something you had done or some area of expertise that you had that that, that you engaged in in the or something you've done in the past, which would indicate areas of expertise. And it was just meant to be very broad. Like I remember I I played a, I don't know, I think it was a dwarf or a halfling or something like that that had been like a spy. And so my character, I decided we, we captured a goblin and needed information from it, so I said I was going to waterboard the goblin, because of course as a spy I would have had experience waterboarding people, and uh, that shocked the other players at the table. But um, <laughs> but that I thought that was an interesting take on it. So it's, it's so to me it's this it's almost like an accordion. It's, you know how granular you look yeah. at something like Traveler or um, Pathfinder was Pathfinder first edition was I wouldn't say like ridiculously long. I think Traveler is. Kind of ridiculously long,
1: yeah. I mean, it's it's the things, it's the percentile systems I've seen, like a clue, yeah, oh, yeah, Cthulhu, yeah, call it, is ridiculous. Where there's like you know, I know it's like 50 skills or something, mm. um, right? Let's assume that you have about 40. Let's assume we've got a relatively normal, so between 10 and 20, okay, we're talking 5e yeah. and 2d20, we're between 10 and 20 skills. Um, obviously, the easiest way to avoid any problem with skills is to actually have characters. When PCs build their characters, it's super helpful if they actually talk to each other when they make their character. Now, this isn't always possible. So, for example, when we make it, you know, when we make Conan characters, um, you go through a, like a life path. And if you have life path character generation, you, even if you might have some choice, but you also don't. So it's entirely possible you do a life path thing and end up with characters that are super similar or that no one ever had the opportunity to learn a certain stat. Okay, but we'll, we'll come to like, right, you've had that problem. How do you deal with that? Yeah. In general, one of the biggest problems you have with skills things is where either you have loads of people can do the same skill, or you have a certain skill that no one can do. And this is kind of like, you know, in fantasy where you've got no one has, no one has like nature or medicine. So you need someone to like, you know, the, the adventure says, right, someone make a medicine check and everyone goes, oh, I, I haven't got that. Now. I don't know. Now, at least in D&D, realistically, particularly at low levels, all proficiency is given you is plus two. So it's, it's not really the end of the world. Where it is problematic is more proper, like, especially when you go into the future things where you need a character who's got a hacking role yeah. and no one can do it. The easiest, the first solution to that problem is very simple. Have a session zero where you build all the characters or you know, something like that. Have some talk and make sure as the GM, hopefully you have some idea of right, you I need to make sure that someone can pilot, someone can do hacking, um, and, and someone can do, you know, breaking and entering, like breaking, picking locks. Yeah. So you sort amongst yourselves who can do that stuff. And if it's one person who can do all that, fine. But that's the kind of thing that makes sense for the GM at the start to say, right, if none of you have skill X, skill Y, and skill Z we're going to have problems and then the players. Yeah, is go going to
0: change the dynamic yeah. of what's possible in the party. And I think that there's a, on, on the one hand, you could think of that as being like two meta. Well, you know, you're, 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 you're creating these characters to fit the plot, not the other way, not, not the other way around. Although if you think about it, you know, if you, if you were to put together a team for work, You know, if you had some project that you were working on and you had a choice of people that you would include on the team, you would include the people who have the skills, the traits, such and so forth that you believe if you were the team lead would uh, would likely, you know, lead to some some kind of success in that. So that that makes sense. I don't I don't think that that's unreasonable. You know, a group of.
1: Well, I mean, a group of. A really good example of that is, you know, I, I was going to go say heist films. I'm well, no, bring it down because in Ocean's Eleven, they have, well, there's 11 of them. But in, if you think like Leverage, which they had a role-playing game, yeah. you know, you had roles in that. You had, you know, the hacker, the hitter, the grifter, the thief, and yep. whatever. The whole point of that was, well, each of those people were really, really good at that thing. And that's why they'd come together in the first place. I mean, your classic d d party is, you know, your cleric, your wizard, your fighting man, yeah, uh, and, and your thief. And they each did that thing. I mean, that's why we didn't need skills initially. The thing hmm. skills came in because eventually people were like, well, I want to play a fighter, but I want to do some steely stuff. And, you know, someone go, oh, I don't want to play. And no one wanted to play a thief. You know, if no one plays a thief in D&D, in older editions, you were screwed. Nowadays, hmm. it's not the end of the world. You just need someone right. who's got proficiency in thieves tools and, and has decent sleight of hand. Um, so again, it's that kind of thing like, well, it, you know, is anyone playing a rogue this, this, this campaign? Nope. Right, well, then the DM or the players need to say, right, we need someone that can do the rogue stuff. We we don't have to have a rogue because a rogue nowadays is, you know, a rogue nowadays is they're a skill monkey who has backstab. They're a damage dealer. They're not, they used to be a skill monkey back in, you know, the early editions. Now that's not the case anymore. Now a rogue is someone who does a ton of damage and is better at these skills. But you can make someone who's just as good by giving them a high dexterity and proficiency in those things and taking feats to make them. Um, And obviously in a skill-based system where you don't even have classes, again, it's about making sure you pick that. But, you know, it'd be like running a Star Wars game where if no one's a pilot, then that's a different game because then you're having to hire a pilot. You know, if you're playing a a cyberpunk game and no one's a hacker, that's probably a good thing, actually. It'll be a better game.
0: So in a (laughs) way, yeah, no kidding. In a way, skill-based systems, especially skill-based systems that call it aim for some degree of uh simulationism they they create the problem of barriers whereas your older systems that don't have skills it, you know that the, it, it's just left to the the party to you know in the gm dm and that mostly in that case to figure that out so back to your idea of like, how do you get around this problem obviously the vast majority of games are skill-based Yes you know, or or you have something like two d twenty Star Trek Adventures and Homeworld that are um, discipline based they only have six disciplines, and they're such broad categories that that it it doesn't create the barriers that a long, detailed skill list like traveler does yeah um. And so you can get around that. Obviously if you want to play that kind of game, you get around it by having a session zero and having people create their characters jointly. And then you, you create, you build the team. Yeah. Um, if you're playing a pulpier system, like something like John Carter or Mars, where the assumption is everyone who's a player character is already pretty badass and can do all kinds of things. And you
1: don't have to worry about that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to the, the middle ground. We'll come back to the worst case scenario at the end. Let's, yeah. Your average games, you've got your average party, and actually most of the positions are well-rounded. I still think there's things you need to watch out for. And mostly I'm pointing this, well, it's not just at 5e, because actually I think it's like, if we're looking at the longer skill list of 2D20, so the Infinity Music Chronicles co yeah. The older ones. You have a, Yeah, you have a similar problem that s- some skills are, just seem to be more useful than other ones. So, mm. well, you know, you've, you've got this poor guy who said, look, I need someone to be a hacker. But the reality is, in old, in you know in an episode of Infinity, I mean, actually, Infinity is a bad example because you can always be used as a hacker. So let's say your average episode, you know, your, your average cyberpunk kind of thing, you might only have set up one thing where someone needs to, you know, go onto the into web. I don't know what it's called to the be the
0: hacker, and then the and, hacker is not all that great the rest of the time.
1: Yeah, and then so then they're they're doing nothing the rest of it. they they have that one thing to do and they have nothing else. Mm. Um, or likewise, you know, you have a thief in a five E game, but maybe you know. You might go two adventures without anyone needing to pick a lock or pickpocket something. And then that's where you end up with the problem of either the players never getting to use the skills that you told them was really important or they're going to start finding ways to make it important. In other words, they're going to just start robbing everyone because then they get to use it. Yeah, Um, Or it puts you as the GM in the,
0: the, I, I personally think, the tiring, lame position of trying to find stilted and forced spotlight moments so that all your, your players
1: can feel like their character can contribute. But that's the thing. So that's, that, that's contrived in a bit naff. But on the flip yeah. side, if you don't do that, then why did those players pick those right. skills?
0: Well, I think you know that's any kind of... Um, you know the, the more options a character... The more options you have for your character. And skills, I think, are... Especially the longer the skill list... Uh, more options you're going to have for different permutations and combinations. The more niche you make your character, the greater the character is going to be in certain circumstances, but then that demands that those certain circumstances keep popping up or your character is kind of useless. You know, Cyberpunk addressed this. Our Talsorian games, uh, it seems like they hit this one head-on, whereas the Netrunner rules, the hacking rules in Cyberpunk 2020... Were What you just described, your net runner, unless your net runner had some other good skills um, and was a little more general or was an older character that you had been able to build and therefore had things that the person could do well outside of the net. Yeah. And, And then it was this broken party thing. It was a mess. They changed the way the net architecture, the net works as a technical thing so that it functioned differently within the story in the game for cyberpunk red. So they, they address that, but yeah, it's, um, it's hard when you have, when, when a system enables you to build a, an optimized niche character, what do you do outside of that? But back to your, your point about, you know, there are some skills that are just going to come up more often. I'd say that, Combat skills in any role-playing game, your typical role, let's just be honest here, combat skills are going to be important. Now, I'll throw this last thing out there. Like U.S. Army Green Berets, they specialize in different things. There's a communications guy, there's an intel guy, there's a medic, there's a combat engineer, it's a guy who blows up stuff. And then there's the weapons specialist. But all of them are trained heavily in weapons. Right. So, it's not like you're the comms guy and all you know how to do is work (laughs) like satellite stuff. You're like, "Ah, I'm useless otherwise. No, 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 no. You can kick down doors and shoot people too. Um, So, I think there has to be, there's got to be that piece of it. Like, if you're, and that's where I think where your session zero thing comes in, our recognition of like there's a baseline. If we're going to be an adventuring party, there's got to be a baseline, unless. You want to have, and then you just have to account for this within the story, the character that's kind of useless
1: outside of his or her field. Like yeah. your
0: squishy wizard of one first edition. So I think it's so, low so
1: levels. 5e obviously deals with that in a very different way because you don't have combat skills. And even in, I think, 3rd third, right. third edition still have, like, you, did, you had different base attack bonuses based on your level, based on different classes, because that's just out the window yeah. now. Essentially... Yep. Well, You know, a level four fighter and a level four wizard, if they both had the same strength or dexterity and were proficient in the weapon, they both have the same chance to hit. Now, as you go up, the fighter will get more ways of adding on extra bonuses. And the reality is the wizard shouldn't be using that. mean, you always have that thing that like a lower level wizard before they had Cal... Uh, no, not before they had cantrips, would have to be take a crossbow with them because they'd have to be shooting yeah. everyone. Luckily, the they, they, they you know they added in the, sling. Yeah, they added in the cantrips now, so that's not an issue anymore. Um, so Five E gets round up, I literally go, well, the reality yeah. is everyone's going to be in combat all the time, so we're getting rid of that idea, so everyone could be good in combat. Um, I mean, yeah, I said I've played Conan with like two different sets of characters, um, and the most recent set we made sure, like you know, I think I made sure that one character was good in ranged and one character was good in was good in melee. Cause that's what they asked for. But the third character I made myself, I made them say, oh, I'm going to make them good at sorcery, and mesmerism and realized, but I can't do any damage with that. And it's really, un- it's not very easy to do it as we've covered in previous episodes. Um, and then the character was utterly useless when they got on the cameras. The first couple of times I got her XP, I had to put all my XP into leveling her combat things. Um, and it was the same time. The first time we played con- Conan, I think someone had like a, like a merchant character who was quite good in talking and bartering and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. In combat, you know, their, their their numbers were really low. So they were getting in, you know, if they got into combat, they would just get they were just like, oh, okay, my stats are terrible. I'm no good in that. And yeah, the reality is if you are playing a game where there's going to be a lot of combat, you need to make sure your characters can can cope with that. Now, again, going back to infinity, that's a good example. Actually, you could have a character that's terrible at combat, but the way that hacking works in Infinity is you're useful in combat most of the time because you can turn off enemies' guns or, like, you know, if they've got cyberware, turn that kind of stuff off. So you, you don't necessarily need to be great at combat yourself. There's other ways you can do things. Like, you can give buffs to the rest of your team. Um, so there are other ways you can get around it and that. But, yeah, I can imagine a game of acting Cthulhu where you've kind of got a bunch of guys that are really good at combat and the guy goes, oh, I'm, a, I'm the researcher. I'm, I'm really good at the research stuff. And you're like, but half this game is going to be in the field. So what are you actually doing every time that happens? Uh, 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 well, I, I, I want to be the guy that's scared and always sitting back, you know. Yeah. Maybe yeah, that's know. not a good idea. Now, that, that could be a good role-playing opportunity. And I think it's, it, party size makes a big difference. If you've got six or seven people in a party, one person that can't contribute to combat, it's probably okay. That's not that big of a deal. But because if you've
0: got, you've also, you have enough people in a combat situation where some of them could protect Yes.
1: Or something like that but then when there's only three people in your party having it's one third of them being useless the, is terrible the, like the
0: other thing that you're that you know you, you talk about party size that becomes an issue is when you have a long skill list especially a more granular skill list like like um something like call of cthulhu again traveler um conan infinity i think those ones are at the top of the list for me When you have longer lists like that and a smaller group, even a normal sized group of four or five people, unless you have characters that are a little bit familiar with a lot, but not really good at anything, you're going to have gaping holes. You know, Star Trek Adventures solves that problem by ensuring that every single character has at least a point in all six of the disciplines. Like you're top of, you know, you're, you're, everyone's a valedictorian. Uh, in in Star Trek Adventures, but something like Call of Cthulhu or Traveler, how do you deal with those holes, especially in games where the expectation is that you're going to be making these skill rolls to do these things? Do you hand wave
1: that or what? Well... I'll get to what you could do in play, but there was another thing. You'd said something in a previous session, and I can't remember whether it was actually part of the Star Trek rules, or it was another game entirely, or it might have been something related to Gumshoe. I and mean, I think you can talk about Gumshoe separately because that does a cool yeah. thing with skills. Um, but you'd applied at some point that some system you looked at actually gave you more skill points if it's you had le- Yeah. yeah, so- gumshoe gumshoe is this
0: investigative game where you never fail when you are asking questions in investigative contexts. And so you have a list of what are they're called investigative abilities, which are all the things you know and know how to do, all the way from architecture to uh, hematology to interrogation. I mean, it's every different thing you could know or know how to do that would enable you to gain information. Um, all of those you you succeed automatically. We talk more about Gumshoe some other day in terms of why that's so. But you're right. You in the the, the in Trail of Cthulhu and in uh, Nights Black Agents. Those are the two Gumshoe games that I'm familiar with. But they all work the same way. The system's the same. The number of general um, or investigative ability points each. Player gets for their character changes based on how many players are at the table, and the fewer you have, the more points you have. and And if you work out the numbers, and the, by the way, the number of investigative abilities, which is broken into three categories, I think, is long. Yeah. However, if you are smart as players, and and the book explicitly suggests this, everyone should have points. Spread around such that every single investigative ability is represented within the party, no matter what. So if you have more people, they're each going to have fewer, but you're still going to have 100% coverage. And if you have fewer people, they're going to have more and 100% coverage. Now, there are some, I think, weird uh, functions of this in the story and what your character is like, like the the idea of just this. Like ridiculously topped-out competence <laughs> is um, I mean, your nice black agents dispenses that with saying, like, "Your character is Jason Bourne, period,. Fair like, your character is so badass. Your character <laughs> makes Tom Cruise look like an extra. Uh, and like every Tom Cruise character is the coolest, toughest character ever. And uh, and it, it just dispenses with it by saying, like, that's just the way it is. Um, but even Trail of Cthulhu, which breaks from Call of Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu, I think, still has a little bit of that like babes in the woods sort of uh, vibe to it. Like you are, you, you're really overmatched. Trail of Cthulhu ensures that you're going to be able to get all of that information. So they they deal with that um, in know, in a unique way. I don't know of any other
1: game that approaches it that way. I think you can take that principle and apply it to other systems in a situation where actually your problem isn't that just that your characters have badly picked their skills. That's a different thing in a problem where you don't have enough players. So like if you see most, you know, most role playing and not all of them say it, like 5e almost explicitly states it's designed at four players. But I feel like a lot of games have been designed at four players, even when they don't say it. So it, I think it's a really good rule thing about actually, actually, anytime you are playing a, a skill based system or even 5e where you have, you know, you have so many proficiencies if you're playing that kind of system where you can kind of work out, well, how many proficiencies should we realistically have a four players? Well, we've only got two or we've only got three, right? Well then everyone can have a few extra proficiencies or everyone can have a few extra skill points at starting level to try and maybe plug a few of those holes. Yeah. And that's a nice, easy thing that would be very, very easy to put into a game. Um, or, you know, just say, right, we well, to have an extra XP. We're going to start at a marginally higher level just to try and, to try and sort the problems out. Because actually coming on to that, so we're talking about in play, I'll, I'll skip the in play, I'm jump ahead of it. One way you can sort this problem is with experience. So over time, obviously, player, I mean, I've seen this happen loads of times. After one or two sessions, the players realize very soon, ah, we need someone that can do thing. Yeah. So then they can put XP into that. Obviously, that doesn't work in something like 5e because you just don't seem to gain extra proficiencies without taking a feat that lets you do it. But yeah, you know yeah. most skill based systems, you can put XP into into gaining some skill points and things. You're probably never going to get great at it, um, but that's one way of solving that problem. Now, in terms of solving it in play, um, I mean, you've got two choices. you either, if you if you the DM knows that your players have got gaping holes in parts of the thing, then ideally you would. You know, if you know that none of your players have got lock picking, then surely you don't stick a, a locked door, which is super important with a high DC in the middle of an adventure. That's that would just be right. bad GMing. Um, yeah. You can put a locked door, which is easy and you know, you go, oh, it looks a bit rusty and you might be okay. And then let them have a go at it. But you surely, if, you know, if you know, your players have got massive deficiencies in areas, you don't play with those areas. Now, there's still right. two problems with that. One is, what happens if you're using a pre-written adventure? Well, then I would come back to the thing that says, if you're using a pre-written adventure, like I knew I was going to play Curse of Strad, I can flick through it and go, they need to be able to do this skill, this skill, and this skill. Tell my players. Yep. Um, if you're not using, if you're using something not pre-written, that shouldn't be a problem. Now, the other thing would be, if you're doing a bit more sandboxing and the players decide to just go off on one, well, in that case, screw them. Because if they decide, oh, all yeah. right, we're going to completely <laughs> go against what we're meant to be doing and we're going to like break into this dude's house because like he's like, you know, he said something mean to us in the bar and we're going to rob him. Right, well, have any of you got a lot picking? No, Oh well, that's really difficult. Oh, but we really want yeah. to do it. Oh, tough. Break the door down, cause some noise, smash the windows. You ain't picking the locks because none of, you know, that's not screwing over the players. That's the players choosing to be dickheads. And, you know.
0: <laughs> Is that a technical term?
1: Uh, I think that's the high Latin. <laughs> Of pain in the ass players, yeah. Yeah, it's just like you know, it's tough. But I, yeah, so I think I think most of the time there's a way around it. I think the the more awkward one, I think, is the thing you said earlier. What do you do when a player's got a skill which doesn't seem that useful? Do you pander to them and just make sure there's always an opportunity for someone to get to use their skill, which they hardly ever get to use, or do you just kind of treat it more organically? Um, yeah, it's I, hard because yeah. you know, and again,
0: that, that there are. And I think this is where you as a GM, you need to know your players as people, which sounds silly, but I think that's, I think that's actually made harder with so many people playing things online with folks that are, I wouldn't call it purely transactional, like just recruiting some, some dude or whoever to play a game with you online that you don't know. Otherwise the person is just a face on a screen. And there isn't any relationship or connection beyond that. There is obviously a lot more of that nowadays. Yeah. Um, but I think this is one of these situations where, you know, you as a GM, you as people have to know each other well enough. Like, okay, what how, what kind of game do my players want to play? Like some folks, and I know this, like following some of these uh, Mongoose Traveler and Traveler groups on Facebook and elsewhere people that folks who get into traveler like they they want to make sure that they're, they they've accounted for like how many tons of hydrogen fuel are on their ship so they can like put enough you know wheat to bring to some planet to sell <laughs> it to make money to pay their ship mortgage and their insurance and then blah blah blah, blah. you know they they want and they the, and so the long skill list and all these different fiddly bits the skills being just One of those categories of fiddly bits. Like you don't want to take that away from them. They want that. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think in those kind of situations. I mean, the the reason that the reason this all popped in my head in the first place was was this idea of skills that I'd almost forgotten existed in Five E. And the first one to me is is medicine. Now that's not because you know medicine in most systems is a completely useful skill. You know, first aid and bringing people to die. But the point is, in in Five E, if someone's dying, you have healing spells. And you have healing yeah. potions. What the hell are you doing with the medicine? And medicine is an NPC yeah, really? thing. So it's like, no, you're hardly ever going to need to, you know, the, I don't, you know, are there even rules in the book for normal healing using the medicine? I, maybe, I have no idea. Because if someone's injured in 5e, you go to the cleric or back up the druid or the bard. Or you, if you don't have any of them, you walk around with a bag full of, you know, unbreakable healing potions. Yeah. Because the reality is I always assume those are glass and yet somehow they never break. Um, you know, it's like build, the, build your armor out of what the healing potion bottles are made out of. Um, so, but th- that skill exists. Now, if someone's put a proficiency into that, I don't think I'd ever feel the need to do it. But I, I, mean, like, I was listening to Critical Role a few weeks ago and Matthew Mercer says, right, make a medicine check. And I was genuinely like, oh, huh. I forgot medicine's a thing. Now, obviously, that's the extreme example of a skill that, you know, that you could cut medicine from D&D, no one would care. The weird one I find is where we have that those two skill overlaps that we've talked about, and you you had a better way of putting this, is the fact that we have both investigation and perception. And when I listen to Critical yeah. Role, 90% of the time, make a, it's almost everything. We look at make a perception role, make a perception role, make a perception role. Now, there is a third skill that comes out, which is insight, but insight is very clearly different. In, insight is very clearly you're reading someone's emotion or the way they're talking to you. So I think that's very clear. But when I listen to that almost all the time, it's make a perception check. You're looking around, make a, I'm looking for something, make a perception check. And occasionally it's make an investigation role. And then there's the one that I really hate. It's the huh. make a perception or investigation role. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, uh, I I, <laughs> I may have mentioned this before, but uh, the the chill third edition horror role-playing game, which is not supported anymore, the company imploded, Um, has three different skills for gaining information. And it, so it has, and I, I may be getting the names wrong, but it has essentially it's interview, which is an interpersonal thing, talking with someone to gain information from them. It has investigation, which is poking around a site. And then it has research, which is digging around the stacks. And so I don't know if their interpretation, I don't remember if their interpretation of investigation and they also have perception. Let's just, just noticing stuff like as you're moving through the world. I don't know if their interpretation of investigation already aligned with mine or I adopted theirs, but I've always seen investigation is not noticing crap. It's I'm in a room and I'm trying to figure out something or I'm standing out here at a campsite and I'm trying to figure out something based on my, my investigation of this site. So, yeah, I never understood where, where folks got. But, you know, I, I, I don't understand that. I wouldn't do that. But, again, that's where,
1: if that's the understanding of that at the table and everyone's happy with Matt Mercer, well, then so be it. I think, I think the understanding thing is super key. That I think that you said the point. That yeah. If you are playing a 5e game, almost right, again, session zeros, useful things. Right. Um, you probably need a conversation. Of, okay, right. In these situations, we are going to use perception. And in these situations, we are going to use investigation. And, right. and that's the distinction, because I don't think the books make it clear. Um, and the other one similar to that is athletics and acrobatics. Now, to me, those yeah. are two very different things. And it tends to be right. that the characters have different, you know they use them in different ways. But mostly they achieve the same things because like, you know, kind of athletics is essentially the difference is athletics being based on strength and acrobatics is based on dexterity. So you tend to have different characters having them, but they tend to be used almost interchangeably. Mm -hmm. That doesn't bother me as much because it's kind of, is someone going to like just brute force something or is someone going to sort of like finesse something? So then it is, it's you know, it's the different ways of doing it. That doesn't bother me. But The investigation perception to me are like two completely different things which shouldn't, you know, they're, they're okay, there's a bit of overlap there. Yeah. Um, but I don't think there should be, particularly when you have passive perception, and it seems then odd that people should be rolling on perception as for, for like everything. It shouldn't be everything. There should be, you're, when you're looking for something, I, I don't know. It, it's one of those things. I think you need to have a conversation that says, this is when we're going to use one, and this is when we're going to use the other one. Um, yeah. And it should be clearer. And actually, if you have got skills that are overlapping that much, why have you got two skills that are overlapping it much? But yeah, that's a conversation for because uh, the game the says so. Session. Yeah, and that's one of the things we'll look in the in the next one uh, is how do we pair our skill list down, or when when do we look to open up? Um, whereas and it's
0: hard because again, if uh, like I remember the original FASA uh, Star Trek, the first Star Trek RPG that I played, um, and it was. Um, It it had a really long skill list. It was three columns. And it was like you'd have transporter systems operations and then (laughs) transporter systems technology. Like everything, communication systems operation, communication systems technology. Anything that you could use, a a tool, also then had the fix-it skill. They were separate. And you got a lot of skill points over time, but it was so granular. And um, I, I think that there's... There's a place for that. There can be fun in that. You know, you you make your character the awesome subject matter expert or skill expert, but yeah, there are, there are definitely problems associated with
1: that. How do you, yeah. I don't mean, think some you know, some of the things I think five are much more straightforward. You have three, three essentially sort of three talking to people skills, but they're intimidation, charisma, and deception. They're very clearly when you should use them. So that, that never, by fact, I, I really like that as a kind of a, a, a trinity of talking to people's skills. When I see games which are missing one of those or have way more than those, I always kind of think, well, those three work, those three really do the job. It still bugs me that strength works on charisma, intimidation works on charisma. I always feel it should be on, you know, strength or, uh, or constitute yeah. or something. Cause it, but, um,
0: well, that was, yeah. you know, that I know if 5e instituted that, the idea that, that at least as, as like a, Almost like a like a parenthetical or a, a, a sidebar that you know you can mix and match skills and and attributes. Um, what's it called? Thirteenth um, age, same thing. But then of course the the your the backgrounds or perfect whatever they were called. Yeah, um, very strange. Those were you know what's interesting with those? I found them to be intuitively interesting and oh this is going to be so great in gameplay they turned out to be like you might as well not have them because it was like drives in dune yeah like oh well when i was a spy i was really good at paperwork too and you're like what you know it it became a a just so this is where i can i think it uh, it works in star trek adventures because again every starfleet officer is valedictorian yeah it works then but i think in other in other systems um that when, when it's too squishy, it, again, it's like drives it. it and, and so I can, I can relate to there's, there is a sweet spot depending on the genre yeah and the setting that's that, that I don't know if I could spell it out, but I'll look at it and go, that's right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's right. Like how many skills that's what we'll talk about in our next session. We'll look at how many, yeah you know, well, we come up with our own list and I'll have, some like you said addendums because based on the genre i would totally obviously throw some out throw some others in um i think in terms of running i kind of feel like we've covered a decent amount like clearly one of the things we've said repeatedly is a session zero is super important actually you know coming up with the expectations what skills are going to be important yeah what skills what what, how are we going to use is 5e What, what is investigation what's perception having that conversation which skills are going to come up in the session and therefore the you't yeah. worry too much about that you know we're not going to be doing so only thing you know when someone takes survival and you run an entirely urban campaign the so survival never gets used right or someone takes street wise and then the first thing you do is you go and just live out that's the kind of conversation forest, yeah. to tell their players say, right the campaign's right. mostly going to be like this. So if you pick these skills, I don't think you're going to get to use them and then the players need to talk to each other to say, you know how i want to be good at this how they're going to yeah. do that and then and so actually a lot of it does come from that and then outside that, are, it's you know good GM I, stuff
0: yeah i think there 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 are two things it's what are the most common or at least up on the on the front end the the surroundings in which the story will take place and then what's the general vibe yeah is it going to be more action and like you know swinging from chandeliers that kind of thing like punching and fighting and or is it going to be more intrigue those are vibes Where's it going to take place, you know, in a forest or yeah. on, a, on a star base or on some strange alien world or yeah. Yeah. I think, I think when, if you can nail down those two things as you, the GM and players can decide those things and say, okay, it's not like we need to, the GM needs to plan out like, oh yeah, three sessions from now, someone's going to be able to have to lock pick something. No, 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 no. I think you can nail down those two things and then the players just fight it out amongst themselves as to what they want to be and do. Yeah. So then in the next episode on this, give people a teaser. What are we going to nail down there or at least bring up and stir around in circles?
1: Uh, I think we're going to look at, you know, our our preferred list of what skills are important. And I, I think we'll do this with a view to 2D20 because we have an SRD and they have guidance in there for kind of like what they consider their skill list to be. And then, they've you know, rules for if you go up, if you add more skills, this is what you should do. And if you go down, what you should do. Um, I think they kind of start with pretty much close to acting Cthulhu. But that's a perfect example straight away. Like the one skill you if you took the acting Cthulhu list and said, I'm using this and you were using it in modern day, well, where's your computer skill? Bang, straight away you've yeah. you've lost the skill. Um, but so I think we'll do that. And that that's I think that that's what we'll have a look at next time is what skills and what do you do when someone says, I'm I, am I any good at riding a horse? Right. Focus, focuses. That's yeah. why 2D20 is so good, because you have a focus in it.
0: See that, that, yeah, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to jump so off that clip because I don't have time right now, but that's what we need to, we'll, we'll talk about that next time. Yeah. We'll talk about, yeah. then we'll come up yeah, with some we'll ideas. We'll see how close All our right. lists are. Okay. Excellent. We'll do that. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff N Crunch. That's F L U F F N C R U N C H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.